Hello and welcome back to the Stadio Podcast. I'm Musa Kwonga. I'm Ryan Hun. Ryan, how's the Champions League doing? I think it's doing all right. You think so? I reckon. I'm really excited by it. <laughs> I'm loving it. Well, before we get into it, we need to do some admin because we need to remind people of the five to follow thing that we're doing with FOTMOB yep. at the moment on the website. If people haven't understood the concept yet, so FOTMOB is pretty much the app that we've always used for following games and getting updates and stuff like that. We have partnered with them on doing a weekly preview. So every Friday, we take turns to pick five games throughout the weekend and we do a little preview and the links to follow through FOTMOB. We're actually going to put this one up after the Europa League games. I'm doing this week's. There'll probably be a couple that you can guess on there. Yeah. So if you're listening to the podcast after the Europa League games on Thursday, if you look in the description, there'll be a direct link to take you to the preview and with the links within that to go and follow the games on FOTMOB. Then we'll talk about them on Monday's podcast as well. We will indeed. And we're going to be doing that every week until the end of the season because we wanted to, to do a preview thing for ages and we just never kind of really yeah, got exactly. to do it. <laughs> Other admin, thanks to everyone who bought t-shirts. They're now off sale and they should be shipping later in the week. Anyone who is wondering where their t-shirt is, that is what is going on. They're on the way. Unter Vigs. Oh. Yeah. I'm actually practicing a new deep voice today. Oh, wow. What radio voice. Oh, radio voice. What, oh. do you, what do you think, listeners? <laughs> <laughs> so, where do you want to start? Real Madrid? Manchester City. I think we have to. Manchester City's biggest ever Champions League win or away win, I think. Quite a single goal. Wow, amazing. Pro- no, I think I'm, in terms of profile. I'm being silly, you know? I'm being silly. Yes. Um, amazing win. And so funny because Miguel Delaney tweeted, Zidane does 15 minutes of preparation before each game tops. Oh, yeah, I saw this. It's strange to th- see Guardiola trying to sort of quint up against him or something like that. And I replied going, yeah, like Guardiola really does have a tendency to overthink away games in the Champions League. Guardiola then goes on to one of the most impressive away wins in the Champions League. Um, That is why neither of you are football managers. That's absolutely right. At the same time, I think both things are true. Yes, a fair point, yeah. Martin Pernau, um, in the book, I think Pep Confidential, talks about Pep's worst ever decision, which was the the thrashing away at Bayern Munich when he was like, I actually got that wrong. And you look as well at the time he came to the Camp Nou with Bayern and they got beaten 3-0. And he played, I think, one-on-one, the centre-backs up against the three Barca attackers. So Pep has form of doing stuff that's unconventional. Was that when um, Boateng had yeah. his batteries taken out? And actually, to be fair to Pep in that game, it only really, they only really opened them up in the last 15. Mm. But this is the, thing, the thing that makes him brilliant is his risk-taking. And there's an argument that if he hadn't taken those risks, City wouldn't be sitting where they are today. Yeah, definitely. Uh, and, you know, it was brave, actually, wasn't it? You had two forwards. He played a 4-4-2, but he had Bernardo Silva and Kevin De Bruyne as two false nines. And he had Gabriel Jesus as a left winger in a 4-4-2. Out of possession, right? But what's interesting about that is, as well, Gabriel Jesus, and it's funny because he scored a beautiful header, a kind of like Marcelo Salas style, outleaping a taller centre-back, which was very much the sort of Marcelo Salas hallmark back in the day. But the funny thing about that was that until he scored that header goal, Gabriel Jesus, for me, has almost made a name primarily as a defensive forward and not as a goal scorer. Yeah. So to see him score, I was actually really happy for him because I was like, you know what, this is ultimately your bread and butter should be scoring goals. And I'm glad you've got back to that. A game with so many interesting elements, um, which obviously you're chipping on too. Will I? Am I going to well, chip in now? Hopefully. It was quite a strange game, I thought. Neither side really did a huge amount. I thought City had the better of the ball. Then obviously Isco got the first goal for Real yeah. Madrid. But then Real Madrid just kind of stopped operating after that there was this really weird uh, passage of play where I think Isco had the ball in like a deep right midfield position so almost like a right back Mm. and he was looking around to try and pass it to someone and no one was moving at all like like Real Madrid just could not get out at all and I think it went back to 
who was it now? I can't remember who he played it back to and they literally just kicked it out of play and they were only, you know, 25 yards from goal. It was like a rugby union. Well, can I be honest with you, like, touch. The, the strength of Real Madrid is also the weakness. So they've got this really strong defensive element, right? You know, they conceded two last night, but they haven't done that too often this season. They've got one of the best defensive records in La Liga, if not the best. And the strength of their team is the defensive course. You've got, I mean, Ramos went off, but he's the liability there. You've got Varane, Valverde, Modric, Casemiro. And that is a core that is pretty robust. Mm. The problem is, where's the fantasy in that? Where's the creativity? You could argue, actually, those players, Varane and Modric are the ones who are most likely to play exciting passes or penetrative passes. So basically, if Modric isn't doing anything exciting with the ball, it's not going to happen. Does that make sense? And Modric last night was interesting because he was positionally slightly strange. He was... You know, you get those centre centre midfielders who are so good at their job that they can roam. He did a lot of roaming, but it also reminded me of, when you watch Frankie de Jong playing in his first few games at Barca, when you could see him almost like, nothing is really happening. You've got Busquets and you've got Arthur, but Arthur is not really playing the passes he could be playing. And Busquets isn't playing like the Busquets we know. So de Jong was taking up these positions almost inside left and trying to like force the game too much and I felt like Modric was forcing the game yesterday. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think that I was quite surprised that Bale didn't play or didn't start actually, especially as soon as or as soon as Real Madrid scored. Mm. I'm really surprised that Bale didn't come straight on. It was a it was another quarter of an hour before he did, and then a few minutes later, Jesus got the equaliser. Right. The thing about Bale is that he combines so many you know you know skill sets. He's like he's super quick, he's super powerful, and he's big. Yeah. And. That's perfect for an escape route. And against Jesus as well. Imagine Jesus playing on the left wing out position you know, when in defence. Yeah. To have him a bail as a proposition for Jesus would have been would have kept him very honest. But also Mendy was on a yellow. Right. And I think just sticking him on Mendy as an outlet, right. I think might have, I mean, who the hell am I to tell a multiple Champions League winner how to run his team? But I just thought that it was really strange that they sat on bringing him on for so long and then the momentum of the game had completely shifted by the time he did come on and then obviously City got the goal a few minutes later then got the penalty a few minutes after that which was a really nice penalty Man City have finally scored a penalty and De Bruyne looked good didn't he De I mean Bruyne he was brilliant like yeah. we actually had a question on this so let's dive straight into it from um, Carol Vela on Twitter do you agree that Kevin De Bruyne is the best midfielder in the world at the moment and a follow-up question saying, if City's ban from the Champions League is confirmed for two seasons, do you see him leaving? And if yes, where would you see him? I love those questions. I can't think of a better midfield at the moment. The best midfield is Liverpool's, but the best midfielder? Oh, yeah, I think that makes sense because actually... I think, he's the, most, sorry, it's comp- I think he's the most complete mid- midfielder. Yeah, I mean, that, that's probably been true for a couple of years. Though. Yeah. In terms of the best midfield in the world at the moment, I just can't think of a better one actually. No, I can't. I can't think of a better one. Which is actually a slightly sad reflection on the quality of midfielders only because in a, in a, in a, bone, in a good year, there are like four or five midfielders that are like in that bracket you can name, okay, look, four or five elite. But at the moment it's like, mm, it's De Bruyne and then kind of everyone else. Well, actually, maybe let's go on to, I mean, if City's banned from the Champions League is confirmed for two seasons, do you see him leaving? Not necessarily, not if they win. Mm. Not if they, if they win, then it could be like, the way they could sell it is, you know what? let's restore ourselves in the Premier League. And then he could be like, you know, because there's a lot of considerations that make a footballer happy. Actually, maybe his family, maybe he's happy. He's like mm. surrounding family. Oh, we quite like Manchester actually. And actually it's a chance to become a kind of club legend in a way. Remember when like Del Piero gets relegated with Juventus and he stays, yeah. or Batistuta stays in the good Antisari B. It's almost this thing of, do I want to, what legacy do I want? And if he stayed, 
I mean, he's already like a club great, but if he stayed, it'd be unimpeachable. Yeah, I think a lot of it depends on Pep as well. That's a good point. Because, yeah. because I think that so many of those players are just totally in, all in on Pep. You know, and I think Pep is responsible for turning De Bruyne into, well, so many of those players into the players they are. Oh yeah, right. De Bruyne wouldn't be the best midfield in the world without Pep. There's no question. No. Going back to what you were saying about midfielders and maybe a sign on the quality of midfielders at the moment. The thing that I was thinking, and I don't know whether this is right because I don't really have the data, but you know how you've seen in the last two or three years like a real tactical shift in terms of the demands or skill sets of certain players to play certain positions. So you can't just be a finisher anymore or a mercurial finisher. You have to be able to press and you have to be able to link play, for example. The midfielder roles change in the kind of way that the traditional... Um, you know, Mesut Ozil style number 10 has bec- is becoming more and more obsolete. I wonder if what you were saying about, you know, this kind of alludes to the overall quality of midfielders or lack thereof within Europe is something to do with the fact that the wave of midfielders hasn't caught up with the updates in the kind of tactical evolution. Brilliant point. So maybe you're in this kind of weird middle ground where you have players who have grown up in a system of maybe playing in a traditional number six role, but they're having to do way more work than they did so basically what I'm saying is it might take a couple of years before we see players who are now 19, 20, 21. Reconfigure. And then you might get this golden age of midfielders that is set for this kind of tactical evolution. You know, that's such a great point. That's an excellent point. And I'm wondering now who else I'd put in the bracket with De Bruyne. I think I put Thiago there. Thiago over the last few months as, you know, Hansi Flick. Shout out to Hansi Flick. Well, yeah, we'll get on to Bayern. Yeah, we will. But Thiago in the last few months and the Bayern resurgence and just picking open teams mm. the way he is and it's but a, no a lot of it's to do with balance as well I think you yeah. know Thiago isn't a hugely massive lung busting box to box all action kind of centre midfielder but he glides a lot and he all of a sudden he's there and you think how's he got there Yeah, he I think is benefiting from being within a Bayern side that is way more balanced now than it was Actually, we can just move on to Bayern. I mean, before we do move on, for the second leg, Real are without <laughs> Sergio, Ramos. Sergio Ramos. 26 red cards. Unbelievable. In his career. Wow. Never changed, Sergio. Um, Man City without Mendy, who got a yellow. He's going to miss the second leg. And they're also going to be without Emmerich Laporte, who went off after about half an hour. I think it looks like a kind of muscle strain, which kind of tends to happen when you come back from these kind of injuries. Right. But actually, I want to shout out Fernandinho, because I thought he did really well when he came on. He was brilliant. Really, really well. He was absolutely... There was one moment when on the... I can't remember who the person was on the right flank attacking, but he dispossesses someone with a really good turn of pace. Mm. And I was like... Still got know, it. When, when Guardiola first arrived, everyone was like, Fernandino can play 10 positions. There's, there's always one player when Guardiola arrives at a club <laughs> who is like a toy. You know, amazing. Guardiola, he's he arrives, amazing. And then the player's like, what, me? Imagine, imagine being that player when Guardiola arrives at, at your club and he's like, you, 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 you're the guy. Yeah. You're like, what? Like, I'm the guy. And it's, you. All, it's always the guy that no one at, big, at the beginning would have picked. It was said, Bad right. Stuber. Holger Bad Stuber. Do you remember that? At, at, Bar- at Bayern, it was Bad Stuber. But was what like, was, it was more Philip Lahm who was his guy though. Do you not remember? He was like, Philip Lahm's the most intelligent player I've ever met. Yes. And it was like after he'd come from from Barca and everyone was just like, holy oh, shit. But imagine being like Busquets and Pedro when you're in training and he goes, you're coming with me to the first team. You're like, what? Yeah. Can you imagine Pedro's WhatsApp? And it, well, was there WhatsApp? It wasn't back then. I mean, we're old. We're too old for that. But like imagine being that player that Guadalupe comes for. Yeah. God, it's so cool. It's I like, know. Look, I wish someone would make me feel like that one. I wish they did that for Stadio. I wish someone said, 
you you're the podcast that can play 10 positions yeah if anyone does want to leave us a nice kind of g'ing up review please yeah. go to apple Podcasts and say you're the fernandino of podcasts help us chart again help yeah. us get into that top 20 <laughs> let's move on to chelsea Bayern because we were talking about Bayern before can i say this i'm obsessed with arsene wenger's punditry oh, about, who oh my goodness was on being sports and he said Sometimes coincidence creates quality. And I'm like, oh my God, this is amazing. Every time Arsene speaks, it's like opening up a fortune cookie. It's poetry. Do you know, it's like when Arsene Wenger talks, each sentence could be the title of an EP. (laughs) Coincidence creates quality. Because you're like, you hear it, you're like, what does he mean? Or a John Didion book. Yeah, he's like, oh, what he meant was, I think the injury to one of Bayern's key players meant that Alaba had to play as a centre-back. Yeah, it was when Nicolas Zula did his... Yeah, the long-term injury. Cruciate, I think, in the... Was it the Pokal game? Check out Nicolas Zula. Great player. Great player, Zula. And then Alice said Alaba's passing. That's where the quality came from. Alaba's passing out of the centre-back position. Early on in the season, we ruffled a few Bayern feathers on Twitter, I think, because we said that at the time, we couldn't really see that Bayern at that time, mm. if they were in the Premier League, we thought that they would probably finish fifth. Now, in context, at the time when we said that, there was Liverpool were flying high. Manchester City hadn't had their huge wobble yet. Mm. Leicester were really pushing. Yeah. And Chelsea were doing really well. Yeah. And Bayern were all over the place. Yes. I think we should address that because it's only fair. We can't just move on from that. I think that this is an example of how good a job Hansi Flick has done. Yes. Very quietly yes. at Bayern since taking over from Niko Kovac in what, October? Yeah. And it's been gradual. But what he has done, in a weird way, I'm kind of torn about it because I think it's a little bit of just putting square pegs back in square holes. Mm, yes, almost. But Alfonso Davies is a tactical. That, oh yeah, yeah. That, no, no, no. That, I'm that saying yeah. on, at first when that happened, you know, he brought a lot of the more experienced guys back in into their more natural positions. Like Thomas Muller came in and started playing really well again. Even though he played a few, he's played a few games wide. He's mm. done really well there because he just he's the king at just popping up in places that you're like, what's Thomas doing there? Why has no one marked him? But then Alfonso Davies, yeah who was signed as a left winger, yes, was extremely highly rated mm. and was moved back to a left back. Yes. Very similar to the kind of situation with Bukayo Saka at Arsenal, mm. actually. And again, it was more of a kind of in, an injury It's a square thing, peg. But- you, know what it is? It's a, you know what it is? It's, you're right. It's square pegs and square holes. And there's always just that dash of innovation that elevates it above mere... Do you know what I mean? Like, mm. there's, that's, what, that's what's interesting about Hansi Flick. There's... A load of amazing man management, but there's a couple of tactical touches. I mean, like Alaba at centre-back is not necessarily an obvious, it's not an obvious thing. I mean, he has but, played there before. Yeah, yeah, he has, he has, but could have put him in midfield, for example. Like other, other managers might have put him in midfield as a more obvious, let's have him passing there. Like it is a little bit clever and getting performances out of Boateng like he is now. Boateng just taking Tammy Abrahams to church, like, you know, great player. But then you were like watching Boateng against Tammy Abraham reminded me of watching Michael Owen against Marcel Desailly just after the 98 World Cup when France come to Wembley and win 2-0 and Desailly just stands off Owen mm. and just goes, I'll be taking that. It felt like that kind of golf in football nows. And yeah, Hansi Flick, shout out to him. And also yeah, to Bayern fans, no shame in saying that now at this point, Bayern, I think if they played now straight in the Premier League, they'd be the second best team, I think, narrowly ahead of City. Just this, because This, this Bayern, how this, they are now for a this, whole season. Yeah, this yeah. Bayern, how they are now like a really, really impressive performance from, from them. Can I just say as well, if I may plug this too, I did do a preview of Bayern against Chelsea, Champions League for BBC. And I did say this is where the goals would come. Yeah. I said they would go straight down. I said, you know, they're, they're brutal in these areas uh, that Gnabry and Lewandowski and, and Thiago would be the main players. And that's, that's the new Bayern though. That's how they're playing. More bad news for Chelsea. Jorginho will miss the second leg after getting booked. 
and so will Marcus Alonso after getting sent off. Jorginho, totally unnecessary booking. Like, there's a couple of times where Jorginho just has like no chill. <laughs> like He got involved in something that he just didn't really need to get involved in at all, ended up getting booked for it. And it's just like, you're Frank Lampard, you'd just be like, what are you doing here? He's that guy at the end of the night out who won't just get in the cab. He has to just say an extra sentence. He yeah. can't just... Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. And yeah. um, we've got a couple of questions on this. Uh, one from Rachel, Rachel underscore Rach 83. Can we start a petition to ban the term Farmers League now after the fantastic display from teams of various leagues over the last two Champions League weeks? I like that question. No, I don't think we can. I think we just let things be. Look, listen, haven't you, Rachel, have you not been listening? There's a free speech union now. Oh, no. So it's now people, listen. Oh, no. Toby Young would be all over that. I think Farmers League is, there are deeply unequal leagues and the problem for teams from those leagues is they're just not match sharp when they come to the Champions League. And I think you see that with teams like PSG. That's just a different type of press that you get when you play Champions League, a different type of um, aggression when you haven't got the ball. You have to be more clinical with your chances. You know, you look at PSG and Mbappe can afford to miss a couple of one-on-ones a game because he knows there'll be more coming. And yeah, they sometimes and they don't get away with that against Yeah, Dortmund. exactly. Sometimes with PSG, you feel like they're in the Champions League going, oh my God, when's the beat going to drop? And it's not going to drop for them. Mm. I don't like Farmers League. It's, I, it's I contemptuous. Don't like yeah. Yeah, I don't and like also, that, also yeah. as well, shout out to France because you look at the, the, the Liga and they do give it a go. You watch them play PSG and they don't roll over for them. Mm. You watch them play and PSG will overwhelm teams like 6-7-0, but even those teams have a go at PSG. I mean, they've had a tough couple of weeks, PSG. They have, because actually what happened is Amiel showed what could be done yeah. and then Bordeaux went and had a party. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, let's take a quick break and then we'll come back with the rest of the games. All right, we're back from the break. Let's talk about head of El Clasico. Both teams are in a bit of a mess, aren't they? They are. Napoli won, Barca won. Yeah, that was interesting. So you see the fact that Martin Brathwaite was really missed. They could really have done with a player like that Mm. against Napoli. So Martin Brathwaite's not eligible for the Champions League, which is a real shame because they need a player with more presence. And when you have three players who aren't particularly tall, kind of nibbling around the edge of the box, and it's not just about the size, it's about the directness, it's the runs. I mean, look, Gary Lineker wasn't the biggest player. Sergio Aguero isn't the tallest player. But there's a way that they attack the box that Griezmann doesn't. And I've said this before. Griezmann doesn't attack the ball or space. He doesn't attack space, more importantly, like a traditional nine because mm-hmm. he's not one. Just to clarify, Brathwaite can't play because he was signed after the deadline for registering players for the next stage of the Champions League because well, it was an emergency signing and done outside the window. Yeah. I mean, I, I like Martin Brathwaite, by the way, but... the we, had, we never really went into it, but the whole the Leganes thing with Leganes was just horrible. Screwed. They've been screwed. Back to Napoli. Napoli came out and did exactly what Barca were probably afraid they would do, which is exploit their lack of speed in transition. Mm. And the goal they scored, I, mean, I said this, it was almost like sort of, it was a perfectly, it was like watching the Jedi, the Rebel Alliance destroy the Death Star. <laughs> there was like a tiny hole they had to fire directly down in order to destroy the entire Death Star. And they did it. They were like, okay, Let's do the transition, fast counterattack, shift him right to left. Oh, and have Mertens crack it in the corner. Young yep. Dries Skywalker. Yeah, exactly. Big, <laughs> big Dries, big Dries. <laughs> it was such a nice goal. It was a beauty. Took him equal with uh, Hamzik as the all-time top goal scorer for Napoli. But he's do done it. I think Mertens has done it in less time. Do you know what's funny about Napoli? What I like about them? They're a little bit messy. 
they're like a little bit extra. Do you know, Hamzik, Mertens, Lorenzo Encini, they're all a bit... Callihan's a bit hype. They're all, yeah, they're all extra. They're they used all to have Higuain, who's like they've the all got that hype. Kind of, they're like that energy. You know when you, like those, you get a bunch of kids on the train and they're not like, they're just good natured. They're loud. They're like, yeah. oh yeah, they're busting. And they're not, nothing ever kicks off. No. But it's like, they're just extra. You're like, it's all a little bit, they're <laughs> so extra. And then you turn around, they're like all wearing that Napoli training top. So, oh, of course it's them. <laughs> That's what they, do you know what I mean? They've all got that kind of like slightly energy, energy. <laughs> I'll tell you who weren't extra with Barca. Oh my goodness. I thought this was such a strange performance by them. Can I be honest with you? When they play like that, and I see that kit, do you know what I think of? A box of old toffees. You just see that box of old toffees and like, oh, you, you're like, oh, shall I eat those? You don't, you just sort of leave them there. And it just, they just felt like that, like. Someone will eat them. Exactly. <laughs> they felt like, yeah, old toffees. And I was like. Old toffees. Yeah, it just felt like sluggish and fearful. And look, that, that Setien team is in transition and it doesn't have the pieces that it needs. And they're missing crucial speed in crucial areas. You look again and go, why the hell do they get rid of a player like, you know, Malcolm? Like, they've got rid of the pieces that would energise that and send that to a different level. I, I saw that and I thought to myself, unfortunately, I thought, even if Barca win this tie, which they should, and I hope I'm wrong because I want Messi to win the Champions League again before he retires, I currently can't see this Barca team winning this Champions League. Unless because, he goes because I don't super si- Unless he goes super signed, because I can't see where the extra gear is coming from. Mm. You watch Bayern and you watch Liverpool and you watch City to an extent and you can see where the extra gear is coming from. I can't see it with Barca. You're seeing this season the effects of just a really terrible, terrible run of transfer activity. Yeah, awful. It's something that was always aimed at Real Madrid. And do you remember back in the peak kind of Classico, Mourinho, Pep era and there was always this thing from Barcelona fans where it was like, oh, we'll never be like that. Yes. That chaos and the huge 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 money signings and the constant kind of drama and it was all very much even though Bar- Barca's never been the chillest place yeah you know even way back when Bobby Robson was there and had Louis van Gaal over his shoulder yeah. but he was still in charge but th- I find it really interesting how the identities of two clubs now I don't think have ever been so blurred do you know what I think broke this the Neymar transfer broke Barca yeah. the Neymar transfer broke Barcelona spiritually that 222 million euros, whatever it was. It sounds like a lot of money, but it wasn't because Barcelona gave away a large part of their soul for that money. You know that whole thing when you look at, oh, why is it so, why am I being paid so much? And then the whole thing is, well, wait till you see what the devil gets in return. Mm. And I think that unleashed, I think the effects of that, because what happened? Neymar went, that was awful. You lose the world's second best footballer who is the heir apparent. You lose him. Maybe third. Okay, so maybe third. Top three. You lose that player you then lose your underdog status. It's kind of because Barcelona, despite being a big club, always had this kind of plucky underdog status. Coutinho doesn't work. Dembele doesn't work. So you buy two players for a huge amount of money. Profligacy. Overnight, you become effectively Real Madrid. Mm. You become the worst elements of FC Hollywood, you know, Bayern era, FC Hollywood. And then the politics and go, and the politics like go supersonic. Yeah, which with- they, they were always bad. One other thing I'll say as well, and one concern I have is, you know, talking basketball about the intangibles, right? Mm-hmm things that you can't quantify. The biggest damage to Barcelona's reputation is that if you'd said at the peak of Barcelona's treble winning and everything, when they were just blowing people away with spellbinding football from 09 to 11, when people said more than a club, the only people that mocked it were those who were a little bit jealous. People could see this was something special. They had brought through these players. They were like, could see this is more than a club. If someone says more than a club now, people laugh. Barcelona are one of the most iconic football clubs in the world. Right. They're also one of the most poorly run, I think. Yes. Currently. 
I agree. But anyway, it's going to be a really interesting second leg. No Bush gets, he got booked. Not a bad thing because Frankie can play DM now. Yeah, he's playing way too high, I think. I've always thought this. I saw him when I first saw him playing for Barca. I was like, what's he doing up there? He's yeah. not running it from back there. I think the thing that's going on is that, well, Valverde before him and I think Setien since, currently with what he has available, I think they want Messi and De Jong to be close together because yes. I think they're the only two who kind of can really, really get it. Although I would say that also I think Bush gets is playing quite well. Yes. Can I be honest, actually? Let me throw this in as well. Maybe if you look at like how Iniesta would play DM mm. and was mind-blowing at it and was obviously going forward was unbelievable. Maybe he's using, again, to your point, he's using a De Jong and Iniesta type role, the one that makes the cuts. Because mm. there's you're right, the, the Messi-De Jong combination could be profitable. And Messi does like to look for him in key moments. Uh, let's move on to the final game. Let's do it. Leon won, Juve nil. <laughs> <laughs> you're, a, you're bad, Moussa Okonga. Listen, did I love this? Because Leon have nothing else to play for. No, they're still in the French Cup. That's not fair. They're still in the French Cup. Yeah, seventh in the league. And they're quite nice. But seventh in the league, light years off the pace. Mm. They needed this. Hertha's new boy, Lucas Toussaint with the goal. That's the most Hertha thing ever. You sign a goal scorer, you put him out on loan. Well, he's and, a midfielder. He's not even... Well, like, yeah, but, yeah but he's like, goal scorer. And then, and, and then he ends up like beating Juventus. <laughs> I mean, it's the most... My friends and my German friends were howling about it in WhatsApp. They were howling with laughter. Yeah, I saw Jonathan Harding tweeted about it saying that it's a bad idea for Toussaint to go to Hertha. The tweet was amazing, wasn't it? It said, um, he's been sold some big city lies. Yeah. <laughs> that was an amazing tweet. Um, Paolo Dybala, a couple of misses that on a better day, he'd have scored both. One from distance, he put narrowly over, which he would have gotten target respect. He was missing, he missed um, from about 10 yards out, mm. which is of a chance he snatched at. Though I still expect Juve to go through in the second Yeah, leg. I do. I do. Like, Unless they have to play it behind closed doors still. Like they're going to play the Derby d'Italia this weekend. You'd expect Juventus to be more ruthless in the second leg and to ultimately overcome Leon. And I, I'm really happy for them. I'm really happy for Leon getting this win, but I don't think it fundamentally changes where I expect the tie to end up. Mm. There was another inevitable... Cristiano Ronaldo free kick straight into the wall. 38 now without a goal. 38 free kicks without a goal. I think consecutive. Uh, Gabriel Marcotti tweeted the stat out. When you have Pjanic in that midfield, who's such a better free kick taker. One of the best in the world. Yeah, I just don't, I cannot understand why well, we Pjanic know. isn't on free kick. We know why. Uh, we had a question from Shane Thomas, kind of relating to Juve and also Real Madrid. What's the timeline on Sarri and or Zidane keeping their jobs by the start of next season? Shout out to Shane uh, on Twitter, at TokenBG. What's the timeline? Um, I think Zidane's fine. Zidane's restored. Do you know what? Here's the thing. The thing that will keep him the job is his handling of the league, which has been really impressive. Really, really impressive. You consider that Hazard's been out most of the season. You don't have an attack which has a playmaker really running things. Um, Isco hasn't been the player that you'd want him to be. You'd expect Isco has issues with. That's on the player, actually. Isco's failure to play one touch on the front foot to hold up the transition has been a problem. So if you consider that Zidane has been operating with a subpar attack, it's really impressive what he's done. Mm -hmm. And I think that's why he keeps the job. I don't think his job is in any kind of danger. I think if anything, he's solidified his position because the big knock on Zidane was that he couldn't coach week in, week out. And he's proven that. And also when he went back to Real Madrid last season, we had concerns about his ability to rebuild because they were deep in a rebuild really. Right. And if you look at the integration of Fede Valverde, that's really impressive. Vinicius coming back from injury, obviously Hazard hasn't hit the ground running because of injuries and stuff like that, but that's a really handy piece to have. And the back four, I saw a really good tweet from Alex Kirkland about this saying how important Real Madrid's fullbacks were. Right. And actually you're seeing a lot of change with 
you know, Mendy on the left and Carvajal hasn't really been Pete Carvajal this season. They never quite trust Carvajal to play out from the back, do they? No. That's a weird um, one. I noticed that. But they are quietly solid. Yes. The point that Alex made, which was a really good one, I, I totally agree with, is that Mendy doesn't give you as much going forward, despite being probably maybe a little bit more defensively solid as Marcelo. Oh yeah, much more so, so I would say. Much more so. Whereas Sarri, with Pochettino out of a job... Oh, you're linking Poch everywhere, man. Well, I mean, wouldn't you? Are you, are you changing your thing now, Poch to... Poch to Juve. But what about your beloved Man United, Musa? Oh, that's not going to happen because Woodward just said that Solskjaer is the guy, isn't he? Oh, if you talk, you're in big trouble. Oh, my goodness me. I mean, look, in an ideal world, I'd like Conte and Simeone to swap jobs. That's that would I, be I, fun. I want that to happen in, I want that to happen in I'd Serie I'd quite like to see Poch at Atleti. I actually want to see Conte there now. Okay. Well, that's now my energy. Because then it would be cleaner. It would be cleaner because... I think Conte's going one year, one year territory. I just think that Conte is someone that is amazing for three years. I actually saw a piece on this um, for ESPN about the fact that I thought that Conte was now the, was the modern managers caught up to Conte in the sense that he's amazing. He comes in, assembles, he's like that, you know, when, you, it's like when you're at uni and you go into the kitchen, you're like, what have I got? I've got these ingredients. I'll make something great. And it, sounds, it tastes amazing. Sounds like ready, steady cook, mate. Absolutely. Well, that's what, that's what modern manager is. It's, it's ready, steady cook, really. That's what it is. And Conte's- Ainsley Harriet would be an amazing modern manager. Oh my goodness, he he was ahead of his time. If he didn't laugh so much because he gets, you know, because he laughs, it was always just a big joker, but actually, Ainsley was that guy. Anyway, back to Pochettino at Juve. I think with a guy like that out of a job, there's a little bit of concern for Sarri because I think Sarri is not, he's not your first choice for a job like that. No, I I agree. Whereas I could see Zidane at Real Madrid at the end of next season. Yes, absolutely. I'd expect that. That's the Champions League. It is. My goodness, that was quick. Well, it wasn't that quick. It wasn't quick. We've rambled on for ages. Let's have one more question before we go. It's a follow-up from... Well, it's not a follow-up. It's another question from Caracom. Ooh. Musa often touches on the Wait fa- a minute. Let me call him out. He sent me a WhatsApp saying, I toned myself down with my questions. I don't really go at you. I was like, I said, I want all the smoke. Come at me. Come at me, Callum. <laughs> well, it says... shot for him there. It's officially signed off as regards Caracom, so I'm assuming it's a professional question, not a personal one. Well, it doesn't matter. Shout out to Caracom Magazine. Give shout out to Callum Jacob. Shout out to Caracom. <laughs> All right. Musa often touches on the fact that Martial has never had an elite coach capable of coaxing the best from him. Can either of you think of any other players suffering similarly and who would you pair them up with to help them maximise their potential? Regards, Caracom. P.S. This can be past or present players, by the way. Can I say, that is an absolutely brilliant question. We might have to pause the podcast while I actually stop and think and cogitate on this one. Cogitate on this one. I'm going to say one thing. I'm going to say Paul Gascoigne and Alex Ferguson. Oh my God. So good. Because so, there was that talk that he, Alex Ferguson really wanted him. And I really think if Paul Gascoigne had gone to Manchester United at that time, I think it would have affected a hell of a lot more than just his football. Would have changed his entire life. That's actually, that's the best chap. It would have changed his entire life and career. And actually he was that good. And Ferguson was that good at managing people like that. Could have changed the direction of English football. The other one that I was thinking of from a football point of view was Sean Wright Phillips signing for Chelsea was a bad move. Oh my goodness, that's brilliant. I think if he'd gone to Arsenal then at that time yeah, with Wenger was- and, the, and the connection with, with Ian Wright and Arsenal, I think he could have... I mean, I think he still had a really successful career and maybe he just wasn't of the level that a lot of people expected him to be as a youngster. However, I think there's always a what if there. He was the elite winger. He was by a distance the best English winger at the point when he went to Chelsea and then just didn't play. It was the mm. strangest thing. Um, can I have a moment? Because I think, yeah, yeah. this is, um, 
It's such a good question. I've got it. Go on. Oscar. Oscar arrives at Chelsea having scored a hat-trick in the World Under-20 Cup Final against Portugal. Brazil 3, Portugal 2. You watch that and you see the movement that Oscar's making off the ball. It's extraordinary. Attacking instinct, midfield orchestrator, spectacular footballer, goes to Chelsea and begins in spectacular fashion, scores a deflected strike, but then an absolute beauty against Buffon in the Champions League and Chelsea beat Juventus. Great start. And then Mourinho over time just coaches the joy and the fantasy out of his play to the point where we go to Brazil to this documentary about the World Cup and Brazil look at Oscar in the, in the, um, in the team and they're like, what have you done to him? What's happened? They were, Brazil, I mean, actually, so this is a bit of a name drop, but we got to interview the great Carlos Alberto. And Carlos Alberto said, this is, sorry, a bit of a name drop, but the great man. You're not like, sorry. Well, no, but because, no, but there's a, con- a there's, poet. there's a point to it. He said we couldn't use this in the interview because he didn't want to put pressure on Oscar, but he said, he reminds me both of, of Jesson. He, he, he compared Oscar to Jesson. He said, his game, he said, please don't use this in the interview, but that's who he reminds me of when I look at his skill set. And so they were like, what has Mourinho done to Oscar? This guy should have been one of the greatest players to put on a Brazil shirt. Like he was on course with his ability, his technique, his vision, the way he saw the game. And it just got coached out of him. He became a kind of like shuttling box to box, slightly nasty, like, you know, not nasty, but have that kind of edge, you know. Yeah, edgy. Edgy, edgy, but that's not him. And that is a guy that was so poorly coached. This is the difference between being De Bruyne under Mourinho and De Bruyne under Pep. Because Oscar under Guardiola, from the age of 21, would have become a monster. So that's the guy. Oscar's the guy. Oh my God, I'm glad that Caracom asked that because thank you for the question. I'm sorry I sent for you. Well, I'm not sorry, but I'm, <laughs> so I, love, I love you, Callum. And I love your magazine. You're amazing. But yeah, thank you. Oh, you know, can I say, before I forget, that question was so good that, that we actually had to pause and turn off the mic while I thought about it. I had to turn Musa off and then switch him back on again. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> Get us out of here. Oh, shout out to Aaron Durand. Yes. Aaron Durand, who sent me a beautiful package and a lovely note about Stadio. Where's mine? Oh my God. Well, sorry. Wow. He sent me a nice bobble hat, a oh. bobble hat in a magazine called Turn. Well, you enjoy it. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. But the note is for, for both of us. It says, Moose and Ryan, enjoying Stadio so much. What a breath of fresh air your podcast is. Smart, timely, and all-encompassing. Yours in football, Aaron Durand, at Everyday Dude. Not the whole note, but just like the kind of... Oh, I just, thanks, This is really lovely. Like, I just, these things, can I just say to listeners, those things just mean so much because, you know, we also... <laughs> poor Aaron, we tease Everton a bit, you know, about whatever, but... Yeah, sorry. Yeah, sorry, Everton, but... What a lovely message. And that came in from Portland the other day. Oh, wow. So yeah, really lovely. So thanks for that. Thanks, Aaron. Yeah. A lovely copy. He gets a lovely copy of a magazine called Turn, like an Everton fanzine in a way, issue one. And he sent this copy of Turn magazine. It's a piece for, I believe the name Turn is dedicated to every Everton midfielder who's received the ball facing their own net. <laughs> so lovely. Amazing. Yeah. Oh, well... Thanks to Aaron and thanks to... Uh, thanks to Ren Quarterly who put him onto the podcast. Shout out to Ren. Shout out to Ren. Yeah, shout ben out to Bennett Ren. Ben, ben Taylor at Ben. Bennett Ren. Thank you. Oh, that's kind of... It's wholesome, isn't it? Maybe can me tear up a little bit. There we go. It's really lovely, isn't it? Yeah. Right. Let's get out of here. Let's uh, get out of here. Before we go, don't forget to check the five to follow on the website. If you're listening to this after the Europa League games, go into the description on the podcast, whatever app you're listening to. Click the link. It'll take you to the article. Five games to preview. Go and download the FopMob app follow the games throughout the weekend also if you are listening on apple podcast please leave us a rating and a review you might have noticed we're playing out this week in the background stereo lab 
come play in the Milky Night. Quickly, you can follow us on Twitter at Stadio. You can follow us on Instagram at, sta- uh, at Stadio Football. That's right. And the website is Stadio.Football. It is indeed. And we'll be back on Monday. See you there. Wow. 